Good morning, everyone. My name is Amber. I'll be reading from Mark 1, 14 through 28. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, Christ Central Church. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord with all of you this morning. My name is uh, Josh Kim. I'm an assistant pastor here at our church. And if you're new and joining us for the first time, we're glad you could join us as our Elder D. Lanier shared with us this morning. Our pastor, our senior pastor, is on sabbatical. So I want to invite you again, and especially even if you're new, to continue to join us as we continue to grow even during this time of sabbatical. And if you're a member of Christ Central Church, I want to echo what Elder D. shared about praying for them. One of our calling during the time of sabbatical as a church is not only to send them off so they could rest, but as a church, we are committing ourselves to say, he's our pastor, this is our pastor's family that we are committed to pray for during this time. So I want to invite all of us to at least one day in a month um, to consistently pray for them as you think about them as uh, this year, but at least once a day, uh, once a month, a day where you remember them and pray for them well, we want to be a church that really prays for our pastors. Amen? Amen. Amen. To be or not to be? To be or not to be? It's a famous phrase in a uh, famous play by Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, uh, in Hamlet. And the main character, Hamlet, is thinking about death and suicide as he talks and he says this famous line that says, to be or not to be, talking about the pain and the unfairness of life while acknowledging that alternative might be worse. And I think a lot of us who may not even know what the Hamlet is, we know this phrase really well. We see it used popularly all across different platforms, to be or not to be, to be or not to be. And something that we consistently think about uh, as we journey through the Gospel of Mark. And this is a question actually Mark poses for us. To be or not to be? 
More accurately, it is to be a disciple of Christ or not to be a disciple of Christ. One of the main themes that you will see throughout the Gospel of Mark as we're journeying through the Gospel of Mark during the sabbatical is this question of, will you be a disciple of Christ? And this question comes to us again and again. Will you live a life of a disciple or not? And I believe the Gospel poses that very question as life or death issue for us. As he unpacks the gospel for us, what he's saying is, if you're a follower of Christ, if you become a disciple of Christ, it is a life of eternity for you as you look forward to the kingdom that is to come. But if you do not follow Christ, as we see time and time again throughout the scripture, throughout Mark, he will show us that, in fact, not following Christ is a life of eternal damnation. And that's the question the gospel writer wants us to ponder, will you be a disciple of Christ? To be or not to be? And as we ponder what that means for us this morning, we also need to answer this question, don't we not? If we are called to be a disciple of Christ, and the question is, what is discipleship? What does it really mean for you and I to be a follower of Christ? What does that mean for you to be discipled? I think we throw this word around quite a lot in the church. And as some of you may know, um, know it a little bit more about what that is. You may have felt like you were discipled in the past. Or some of you may be like, I need it, but I really don't know what that is. Can you help me to learn it? And we often come to church and say, I want to be discipled, but we don't really know exactly what that means for us. Perhaps some of you were taught that discipleship meant you have to memorize the scripture. Right? To volunteer at a church services and do all these things and you thought that was what discipleship was all about. Or perhaps some of you coming out of some of those tendencies were taught that discipleship meant you could be free. Be who you are. Don't get hang up on all that church stuff. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I'm willing to bet all of us has a little bit of both here and there. A lot of times, probably, you felt on more of doing things to be discipled more than anything else. Discipleship is an important topic for us today. Not only because Mark, the gospel writer, poses for us, but as our new uh, youth and young adult director, Mr. G, a.k.a. Corey Gaston, as well as our executive pastor, Derek Crawford, always tells me and reminds me that all of us are being discipled, whether it's by Christ, Jesus Christ, or someone else or something else. All of us are in the process of being discipled. The question is, who is or what is discipling you? And even if you're not familiar with the word disciple, we are very familiar with synonyms to that, such as mentor, Apprentice, internship, influence, you name it, right? All the best-selling books in the business world is named influence, influencer, how to win friends and influence people, right? It's centered on this notion of discipling, making an impact in the life of others. What we watch, what we hear, what we listen, what we read, all shape who we are becoming. And that's exactly what Jesus says discipleship is all about. According to the Gospel of Mark, at the core of Christ's call for you to be a disciple, it's not about doing all this stuff 
Rather, the focus of Christ's discipleship is upon who you are becoming. It's not about doing things to get somewhere. It is rather in the process of you following Christ, you become a person that you were created to be. That's what discipleship is all about, according to Mark. And according to this text, there are three ways we see this happening, and that is to be seen, to be able to follow, and to be healed as you follow Christ, as you become the person of Christ. First thing that we see in this text is it's to be seen. Being seen by God is a first step towards being a disciple. According to the New Testament theologian Hans Beyer, Jesus poses these two important questions to his disciples, 12 disciples, throughout this journey with them in the Gospel of Mark. And these two questions are this. Who do you perceive yourself to be? Who do you perceive yourself to be? And the second question is, who do you perceive God to be? Who do you perceive God to be? And a common theme in those two questions that Jesus poses to his 12 disciples throughout the Gospel of Mark is this concept of being seen, to see correctly. And discipleship begins with that. And that's what we see in this text, don't we not? As Jesus now, now the Gospel of Mark focuses upon Jesus' ministry. Because verse 14 says, now after John was arrested, really quickly Mark moves on, doesn't he? John the baptizer came out and said, he is coming. In verse 14, he is here. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here Jesus comes to preach the gospel. He's coming to call you to the lifetime of discipleship. And in the very next verse, Jesus calls his first physical disciples to follow him. Passing alongside Sea of Galilee, verse 16 says, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. The key word in this verse is the word saw, to see. And let's dwell there for a little bit for us this morning before we jump into anything else. Discipleship here, you see, begins with being seen by the Lord to be seen by our Lord and Savior. Church, let this sink in for a little bit. In the culture that you and I live in, where we're often judged by what we do, what we could bring to the table, all the letters that we could have behind our names, this is such a freeing concept, is it not? You could be seen as who you are, and that's a call to discipleship. The word used here, Saul, or to be seen, here is not only talking about Jesus saw somebody and looked at somebody and acknowledged that person. Another meaning for this word saw is not only to acknowledge, but to know that person. It is seeing and knowing you. And notice this. The disciples here are seen by the Lord even before They're called to be the disciple. Here is the second person of triune God. The word of God who took on flesh sees mere fishermen, people who are often overlooked by the society. He sees them, knows who they are, and calls them into becoming the apostles, the disciples, the fishermen of men. 
And church, this is the gospel invitation for all of us. That God sees you. He knows you. And scripture is full of promises of that. He knows you. He knows who you are. He knows how you're made, how you're created. He knows every single number of hairs on your head. And according to the book of Ephesians, he even knew you before you were born. Before you were even able to make a choice to follow, whatever it may be. Gospel reminds us that he sees your pain. He sees our sufferings. He knows you like no one else knows you. Even more so than your spouse, your friends, and your family. He also knows all the depths of the struggles of your heart. He knows your sexual orientation, the struggles you have harbored deep within your heart that no one may know. He also knows your darkest parts of your heart, sins, addictions, insecurities, and fears. He knows all your flaws and failures, the Bible tells us. He sees you, he has seen you, and get this, yet he calls you. He loved you. While we were still sinners, he called you to follow him. That's the call of discipleship. I know many of us are spending lots and lots of time at home throughout the pandemic. And one of the joys, as well as the challenges of that, is spending a lot of time, if you have children, with your child at home. And we love them. I know a lot of you, uh, especially here, you're hugging your children and whatnot. We love them. We definitely love them. But they also demand a lot of your time and attention, don't they not? One of the things that my son loves to do is to play with his daddy. And you think playing with daddy means doing things together, but oftentimes it is him playing and me watching, right? You watch him play. And oftentimes as I watch him play, I get distracted, and I want to look at my phone, and I do, and I want to look at something else, read and respond to whatever may come. And every time I get distracted a little bit, he said, Daddy, are you not watching? Daddy! Are you not looking at me? Daddy, look at what I'm doing. No matter how mundane, how repetitive it may be. He says, Daddy, watch me. See me. Watch me. Play. Church, you know what God of universe? You know God of the creator? You know what he's doing in discipleship? He begins by looking at you, seeing you, knowing you. The God of the universe is never distracted to take his gaze upon you, especially as you go through the valleys of the shadows of death. He's ever fixated upon you, you beloved child of God. So before we focus on who do we see or what we do or what we can do, discipleship must begin with Christ choosing to see us, loving us, dying for us, giving up his life to remind us that he loves us, he loves us, and he loves us. That's the discipleship. And our response is an old song that tells us again and again, just as I am, come, 
just as who you are, your background, how you're made, doesn't matter. All the things you may be struggling with, come. Come to him who will not take his gaze away from you. What is holding you back this morning? What are things that you're grasping onto that you cannot let go of? He sees us and he invites us to come and grab onto the outstretched arms of our Heavenly Father who is ever running towards us. But church, that's not all, isn't it? Discipleship is about being seen by our Heavenly Father, but it's also about being able to now follow that outstretched arm of our Father who invites us to follow Him. And that's what we see happening after Jesus sees His disciples. He calls them, and in response, they are now able to follow Him. Verse 18, and immediately they left the nets and followed him. That's the response. Let's read that again slowly, shall we not? Uh, shall we? Slowly, right? Did you catch that? We often glorify disciples following Jesus and doing all that they can. And like, wow, what a radical thing that they do. But look at what it says, right? Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They leave everything behind. And in the case of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they literally leave their father in the boat. Right? They're like, all right, Father, I'm just going to jump off right here at the right moment. Uh, it's not like, okay, let me give you like, okay, I'm so sorry, Daddy, I need to. Do. No, he immediately at that moment, he leaves their father in the boat and follow him. And in our day, in our culture today, when we're often told, and I tell this to my child too, but we often tell our children or to all of us, right? You're like, follow your dreams, right? Follow your passion. Follow, get that dream job. And that's the tendency we often focus on. Saying like, oh, disciples are following this greater thing. What a great thing that they're able to do. What a great calling that God is giving them. But you know, in the biblical time, in the Bible culture at the time, this act that disciples are able to do is not just pursuing a teacher or this noble call, but rather when they leave their profession of being a fisherman, leave everything at that moment, to follow after Christ, it's an epic proportion. What they're doing is they're leaving their family business behind, their occupation behind, their future behind, their whole lifestyle behind. Basically, all your security, comfort, your survival, who you are meant to be behind you, and you're now betting all of your life upon this person who simply says, come, follow me. It is not merely just saying a semantics of your life will never be the same again as a figure of speech. Literally, this disciple's life will never be the same again. Back in those days, when you, be, when you are born, you are born into an occupation. You are born into family business, and that's who you become. Fisherman becomes a fisherman becomes a fisherman. But now Christ basically says, come follow me. And not only they're calling them out of their profession, but their life is completely going to be transformed and their life will never be the same again. And the call to follow Christ is here. It's just not an invitation. Come and learn something new. It's not a cognitive understanding of, wow, I get this person who's teaching great things for us. But this is an invitation. A discipleship is an invitation a transformed life, 
radically different life than you were living before. And soon they will find out, disciples will find out, this is a narrow path. It's not a glorious path they're called to be on. They're called to take their own cross, and they will eventually give their life for preaching the gospel. This is all or nothing kind of call that Christ calls you and I into a following of Christ. Discipleship is all about who is on the throne. Are you or are, you, are God is God is. It is asking, who do you love the most? Are you willing to give up your family, give up your life type of call Christ is calling us to? Discipleship has consequences. And that's the call he's calling us to this morning. Now, I love this question Pastor Tim Keller poses at this point in Mark. Because I know some of us are thinking the same thing. Doesn't that sound like religious fanaticism? Right? Giving up your life for a cause. Religious cause at that. Right? In this day and culture, in our political climate, we don't want to be fanatics. And teenagers here, we don't want to be known as a Jesus freak in our high schools. Right? We don't want to be marked out like that. So we often choose moderation, even in following Christ. Yes, I am evangelical, follower of Christ, but I am not going to go all out. I'm going to just, just enough, give a little, volunteer a little. Yes, church, but not all of my life, ordering my life kind of Christianity, especially out of fear of being labeled as fanatics, extremists, extremism. But you see what Jesus does in this text. It is not called for a moderation. He's not looking for a church. He's not looking for disciples who will moderately follow him. Who will say, oh, well, Christ, that's great. I love coming to Sunday service and learning and giving up an hour to teach and all that stuff. But man, I don't want to give up my dream and my passion, my idols. Christ is not looking for disciples that will say, well, this part of my life, yes, absolutely, God, take that all of me, but not in this part of my life. I don't want you. I don't want to let that go. God, you know me. You know me. I can't let this go. I'm just being a human being after all. I can't let this go, kind of Christianity. But notice what Jesus does here. He's not calling you to life of fanaticism because fanaticism happens when you focus on doing rather than becoming. Fanaticism happens when you merely focus on activities, sacrifices even, that you could do for God or cause rather than life orientation of becoming someone. Keller says it best here. He says, you become religiously fanatic if you only grasp the good news, the gospel, as how to self-guide rather than grasping this as the truly the gospel, life-transforming life. You are only a fanatic of religion because you have not gone deeper. When you grasp the truth of Christ, you'll be fanatically humble, you'll be fanatically sensitive to others' needs, and you'll be fanatically understanding how generous Christ is. So what Christ calls us this morning is to go deeper in your relationship with God, deeper grasping the truth of the gospel of Christ 
so that you and I could be radically transformed to love God and to love others, to stand between the gaps, to love the marginalized, to stand for the truth, to speak the truth in love. That's what he's calling us to do. And again, this is the amazing truth. It's not about you choosing to follow. Yes, disciples are following, but the reason why they're able to follow, as we see through this text, is that Jesus' call comes with authority. And that's what we see in verse 27 with Jesus' healing. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Here in the context of cultural lands, we see the authority. Because, yes, if you know the Eastern culture at the time, this type of call or transformation happens when the life can be transformed overnight by mere words when an authority figure calls you out. When the king calls you, when you clearly know someone greater is calling you, you cannot help but to follow. You can't help but to respond because you're now able to follow because king grants that authority in your life to be able to follow. I know a lot of children are here and watching at home, so I'm going to use an illustration that may be familiar with you all. I'm trying to engage our children here as well. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Kung Fu Panda. If you have not watched it, that's your application this morning. Parents, go watch it at home. It's biblical, right? There's a lot of things you could glean from there. You could teach your children. Trust me on this. Because there's a moment, the whole story, if you don't know it, it's fine. You don't have to watch it. But this whole story, if you have kids, you should watch it. Um, po, which is a panda who's, called, who's born or adopted to this family of noodle making, right? Feels like he's called to be a dragon warrior. And the whole story is about him becoming this famed dragon warrior. And there's this moment when this panda leaves his family business of noodle making. He has to leave behind his aging father who tells him, you're born to be a noodle maker. And he's torn with his call and his family obligation. You think this is easy? Think again. What the disciples are doing in this text is not an easy thing. Just watch this movie and you'll get it, right? This pose, broken heart, seeing his father calling him, you are to be a noodle maker. You are to be a fisherman. Where are you going? But Poe thinks this call is too strong. And this one scene, phenomenal scene, as Poe makes his way to the center of the ceremony by accident, Master Ugwe, a turtle, right? Master Ugwe, points to him. And this is before he becomes, he acts even like a dragon warrior. He points to him and says, you, it's you. It's your destiny to become the dragon warrior. And mind you, this is before he even learns ABCs of fighting skills. Well, before he's even able to stand up against the greatest enemy of the society of this movie, he is called as a famed dragon warrior. And that's what discipleship is all about, church. Even before you're able to be this master, this great disciple, someone who's able to articulate the gospel or even live out the gospel to the fullest. What God does is points at you and say, you are my disciple. You are going to be a fisherman for life, a man for life. You are going to overcome your sin addiction. You are going to be my child 
whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. That's how discipleship begins. Radical transformed person is someone that is called by the Lord. God of the universe, authority, comes to you and say, now follow me, and now you are able to follow him. That's how you become the one that reflects the beauty of Christ. Finally, not only the gospel call is about being seen by our Father, being able to follow our Father because He calls you, but someone now that's being healed in the process to be healed by Heavenly Father as you follow after Him. First Tony one starts Christ's, uh, Jesus' ministry with the disciples. And it says now, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as the one who had authority, not as the scribe. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And verse 26, And the unclean spirit convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? The new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. And this is the hallmark. This is like a pattern that we see Jesus doing throughout his journey of discipleship with the disciples. The next several stories is about Jesus' healing. On the heels of him teaching and proclaiming the gospel, not only he was teaching with authority, but now he's showing his authority by casting out demons and also healing the sick. And here we get the glimpse of the final to be of discipleship. That is to be healed by our God. To be healed of our ailment, our pain, and our suffering. To deal with our sin and to confront sin deep within our heart. To be restored and changed in it as you follow Christ. It's not just saying like, okay, I will do this for the Lord. It's about you being transformed and transformation happens when he comes and he sees your heart and he sees the pain, he sees the suffering, he sees the sin and he comes to restore that, change that. And his teaching again and again accompanies that of healing. And that's what Jesus does for us. As you're discipled in him, you will have to face your ailments, your illness. Our God is not merely a doctor who sees you and who walks away. Our God wants to go and do major surgery in your life to heal you. Jesus' story in all throughout, he never shies away from these moments. Rather, he steps forward to your pain and your suffering. Last week, I had a chance to take my son to the dentist. And uh, I have a love and hate relationship with dentists. I had seven root canals in my life. And if you have one root canal in your life, you know how painful that is. So I, I, although I, I, I'm grateful for dentists, I absolutely detest them at the same time because of the pain they cause in my life. And one of the most amazing things that dentists do is they come and say, open wide. And like, open your mouth so wide and I'm so 
deathly afraid what he's going to do to me. And I'm so deathly afraid that he's going to find something in my mouth that's hurting me. But in order for him to get to my pain spots, to heal me of my ailment, he had to see where that is. And rather than hiding it from him, what I have to do is open wide as I can. And if you're not able to do so, he puts something in your mouth to keep it open, right? Not only so, guess what they do? They start poking at it with the very sharp stuff. And it hurts you, doesn't it? It hurts you again and again. And they try to scrape off a little bit off at a time. And it hurts you too. And they now poke at your gums. It hurts you again. Guess what they do more? Now, let's go deeper. Let's take some x-rays. I'm like, no. Why? X-rays because there may be some cavities in between your teeth I cannot see. So x-rays will reveal that for you. So you take x-rays and he shows it to you and points out all the flaws in your life, right? You did not brush, did you? Here, you need to do better here. And then after that, he said, let's get some panoramic x-rays and see what's going to happen in the future, right? Especially for my son, we want to do this so that teeth are coming. How are they coming? What do you need in the future? You have to be so open, so exposed in order for you to be healed. There's not a dentist that will say, well, let's forget about this cavity for a while, shall we? Let's not deal with this. Right? I know it's going to hurt you too much. Let's not deal with that. They'll be a terrible dentist. Church, the Bible calls us a discipleship means you need to be prodded, poked, tested with hot and cold, drilled, filled, and taken out. All that so the healing can happen. Scripture reminds us that's what it means to be disciples. He doesn't say, ooh, that's, that's too much. He doesn't say, ooh, that's, that's too hard. Ooh, that's going to break apart your family. Ooh, that's going to break apart your whole core identity. Ooh, that means you have to leave everything behind. Ooh, that means you've got to get rid of that idol that you've been fostering in your heart for a long time. Rather, you know what he does? He moves towards our brokenness. He confronts our illness. He looks into our pain, into our suffering, and he speaks into it, and he establishes his authority over it and makes us submit to who he is. And when you are discipled in Christ, you will face your brokenness. You will face your deepest desires, your idols in your life, and God will establish his lordship over you, not your desires, and he will heal you of your false desires that find fulfillment in in anything else but God alone. That's what it means to be healed as you follow Christ. And you know that happens? You know what happens when you're healed like that? If you read the rest of the chapter, when you're finally healed, those who are healed by Christ is either one, sitting by Christ, listening, obeying, two, serving Him as Peter's mother-in-law does in verse 31, and especially in verse 45. I love this, right? The leper who's cleansed cannot help but to speak of who Christ is. You see, discipleship flows internally as you are transformed. You don't even have to worry about what you're going to do because you're going to be the one listening, sitting by his side, 
wanting to serve, wanting to proclaim, is going to be a natural act. And we see that pattern playing out again and again and again and again, not only for those who are sick, plagued by the evil spirit, but the marginalized, the outsider, those who are not accepted into society, foreigners, mistreated, they are seen, they are called, and they are called to follow, and they are healed and transformed, and they become the pillars of the church of Christ. Church, when we think about discipleship, we often think about people that do amazing things. And there are a lot of people that does that, that do that too. We often think about the great giants of faith who are proclaiming the truth to the ends of the earth. And we often think that's so far away from me. That's so grand for me. And yes, the 12 disciples, as we see throughout the scriptures, will do that. They are seen, they're called to follow, and they're healed and do these amazing things for sure. This month, if you know, is a Women's History Month. And as I thought about the women in my life that have impacted me, and there's surely many, many women, especially in our church too, many of you whom I have privilege of serving with, many of our women shepherds who guide us and lead us and love us so well, many have impacted our lives so much. And there's surely many who shaped and who spoke and done remarkable things, not only in my life and your life, but one of the disciples, a picture of disciple as I thought about was that of my grandmother, who wasn't remarkable by any standard of the world. In fact, there's not a legacy. Unless I talked to you about her, you would have never known who she was, right? Born during a terrible, terrible times of post-Korean war, living as an immigrant, an eldest son's wife, never being able to actually learn how to read and write, being able to go to school. God saw her, called her to the life of discipleship, and healed her all throughout her life before she went to heaven to be with them. When she passed, I remembered some of the stories of her, and I was able to give eulogy. And oftentimes when you give eulogy, you think about all the accomplishments that you are person that passed away have done. And as I thought about my grandmother, honestly, there wasn't that much that I could say. It's not like he has discipled many people, let alone he held, she held an office in a church. She was often unseen by many, quiet, unassuming person. One of her highlights of her life was the fact that she was a faithful member, member of a church for 30 years, not an officer of a church. But one thing that she did leave me behind was a book that no one else will ever read in a life. No one else will probably use this to read in the future. What she wrote was her own, and you could cue the picture, or she wrote her own Bible. She wrote the words, the Bible, and in the language, or her language, and my grandmother is have the sunglasses there, pretty cool grandma there, and uh, I know you can't read this, so I'm going to read that for you, but basically what she says is, I'm thankful for God who gives me energy every morning. He's my Savior. And what I found out later was, because my grandma never knew how to read and write, she taught herself. After her children left, got married, had grandchildren, when she was able to finally have some time, 
She taught herself how to read and write on her own. And what she wanted to do was to write the Bible out by herself. And throughout the last several years of her life, she did that. And I got that book as a gift to me when she passed. And what I found in the pages, this is the Gospel of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, and I was so, so touched by what she wrote on the beginning part. And what she wrote here is, she says, for the first time in 65 years of my life, these are my first words I'm able to write. And what she wrote was the Bible. A book that no one will ever read. Perhaps I will. But not generations of people. Here was a woman who did not have any noticeable quotes that I could pass along. Here was a woman who left no inheritance behind, who struggled and suffered all throughout her life. No legacy to boast, not even a church honor, no office at that. But here was a faithful woman who delighted in receiving a 30-year anniversary of her church membership. And in her excitement of telling her pastor, now I can write the scripture. I believe she was an example of a disciple, a marginalized, suffering woman seen by our Heavenly Father who was called to follow And follow she did until her death, every morning rising to thank God for who she is, writing his words. And who was healed by means not perfect, but finding Heavenly Father as a source of comfort, joy, peace throughout her difficult and challenging life living on earth. She sat, she listened, obeyed, and served the ways that she was able to and became whom God meant her to be, a disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Church, will you join her in following our God this morning? To be a disciple or not to be. May God see you, call you, and heal you on his path. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the call you placed us in our life. We thank you for loving us as who we are and calling us to follow you and transforming our life so that we can be people that reflect the beauty of the gospel. Father, we pray that we will, in response to who you are, be a follower of our Christ until the day you call us home. May that be reflected in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.